0: G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz, and this is episode number 77 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thanks uh, so much for joining in. Jason Akamanis is my special guest today. Uh, you Probably just about everyone listening to this would know Jason or know of Jason, Um, Brisbane Lions Premiership player, Brownlow medalist, um, charismatic guy, certainly an awesome footballer. Went to the Western Bulldogs, did some unbelievable things there. Um, He's had a a really great uh, journey, great career. Coached in. Uh, country Victoria or country New South Wales, Albury-Wodonga area. Played footy in Tassie when I was down there. Watched him for Glenorchy when I was uh, getting about and really loved the way he he went about it and and wanted to give back to help uh, communities, rural communities. And um, I really believe that Jason's got a big heart and I really think that's um, his gift to humanity and I think we're going to tap into that a fair bit in today's conversation. Also talk about... uh, some of the mental health challenges that he observed in the AFL, and maybe experienced himself, um, going through some changes that he went through, and uh, um, you know certainly he's got a, a lot of um, a lot of wisdom with regards to what he's seen inside and outside of football, but also what he can bring to uh, humanity and and, and men's well being, I suppose, outside of football and what he's doing now. Um, yeah, so I was really keen to get Jason on. I'm, I'm so um, you know, grateful for him to, uh, to come on and have a chat to us today. So I'm really sure you'll enjoy this conversation. I hope you can share it with some others that may uh, benefit as well. Just want to make a special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who supply green organic superfoods. Um, Basically, really good uh, products that uh, support uh, any imbalances that we have in our life. Um, that can support our physical and mental health. So, I really would encourage you to check them out. GreenNutritionals.com.au. Also, Pure Life uh, Organic Sprouted Bakery bread that really loves you back. So, this stuff digests much better than normal bread. I'd really like you to check them out and support them. Their breads available all around Australia. It's PureLifeBakery.com.au. Alrighty, listen to Jason and I going at it. I reckon you're going to uh, enjoy this one. Jason Akemanis, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here, Aaron. I
1: mean, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, down there, we're having a little bit of chat off air, but yes, it is always good to help brother out and, and uh, see if we can't talk about some good issues and some bad ones along the way.
0: That's it, A. Aaron mate, that's unbelievable. I'll, um, I'll, I'll ring a guy that used to call me that when I was at school and, uh, and he'll get a laugh out of that one, so I really appreciate you bringing back some memories, mate.
1: <laughs> we had a bloke on the podcast the award-winning podcast that we do every week called the jay spot and his uh his name's greg blake and so i rocked in there and i called him balaki and and the boys the other jays jason and jimbo just looked at me and had no idea what i was talking about but anyway there's a, there's a very funny film clip on youtube if you look at it it's pretty hilarious
0: I'll, i will and, and it's amazing uh that you're still got such a great sense of humor and um you still, you know, really, really vibrant. Um, you know, after all the AFL stuff you've been through and sort of settling back into normal life, mate. So, um, it's going to be a good conversation between you and I here, I reckon. And um, you know you're a country lad originally from Mildura, not too far from where I'm from in Horsham. Do you have any memory memories about being brought up there and sort of what went on for you as a young fella?
1: Yeah, I only have a few memories. I remember being my mum had me down there she's from brisbane so we came back when I was about 8 which was really good good for all of us i think uh, in the chances of playing i suppose in the aussie wheels pretty but also because of the opportunities here i think with her the way it all sort of panned out wasn't a and it was an interesting 11 years for her there. She went down, she was married to John Ackermanis, where her last name comes from. He was a Canadian mm-hmm. and then had an affair and had me and my brother Rory. Rory now, is, uh, he's a police officer now, so I mean, you know, and, which is quite amazing. So he used to run the best racketeering operation in high school you've ever seen. <laughs> so he's really he's really gone on to do great things. But I think, um, yeah, it was... It was it, the, the important things with Mildura, He's, uh, I'm actually one of five, so my dad had. Uh, he was married. He still. Well, he wasn't married until he passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, so I have. I, I had sort of an older half brother, an older half sister, and a younger half sister, which I never knew at that stage. But the, the most important things that happened in Algeria was mum was really concerned about my hyperactivity and, of course, you know, just not, not sleeping much, as I still do, you know. I might go to bed at 11, get up at 6. It's, it's all always been that way. When I was a kid, it was even worse. So the doctor said, uh, Mrs Agmenis, we don't want to do anything. We're just getting into sports. So <laughs> she took that on board and took me down to South Majura Footy Club, which, of course, is the Bulldogs there, but they look like Geelong. They're pretty smart there in Majura. But anyway, <laughs> we went down there and my very first coach... Casey he, he, uh, my first training session actually I'd sort of punched 11 kids and uh, this was before the session he said uh, Jason come here and took me down to the uh, the point post and he said you, mate you can't punch kids but by the way if you want to learn how to play as rules as you mate uh, and he showed me here's the boundary line if you don't have a left foot you've got to come back on your right and you'll get in trouble and you'll, you'll get hurt and being a lighter, very quick and skillful redhead as I was and one of the great Vikings, I decided that that would be a good idea and not having a dad around ever, I felt like uh, my, my coaches were my dad. So yeah. I learned to kick both feet pretty much from that moment on and then I knew it was uh, it was an important asset and then, then by the time we moved out of Madura, sort of uh, 1986 I think it was. Uh, it was, it, it came to Queensland and you could see straight away. I mean, by the time I was 12, I was able to kick 50 metres both feet for goals. Like, you know, it just had the power to do that. And that's, that's really the best thing down in Majora. Still got a mate or two down there. and But it's, yeah, it was, it's a long way away from where we live now. But I, having, having been there, I've no doubt that, you know, the journey of life, that was one of the benefits of actually being born in a Victorian country town, albeit on the border.
0: Mm, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, a very strong uh, footy league, or it was the Sun Raider League up there. And um, uh, it's probably a bit far from Melbourne, obviously, to attract players up there. But a lot of players back in the 80s and 90s would go there um, to sort of, you know, retire after their league careers. And I think Jimmy Jess and a few of those guys ended up up that way. And um, uh, it was a really, uh, really strong comp. And, you know, those older days in, in, in regional football were, were awesome. It's changed a lot now. But,. Um, it's good that uh, you know people listening into this from those sorts of areas can get um, some good content about you know stories from people like yourself that you've actually you know lived and breathed and experienced life in that area. So I really appreciate you sharing that, mate.
1: Yeah, we go we go down to the games, and my mum at that certain stages was actually dating one of the players, and he wore number twelve. So there's a famous photo of me, which is in in one of my books where I'm standing there watching him play. It was a pretty pretty much slower game, but very rough. And I remember there's always fights. But here I was wearing the number 12. Ended up wearing it for most of my career with distinction. So it's kind of crazy how it all works. Mm. But, yeah, she's a she's a funny old world. But and you know, she, was, she was a good, hard, tough league. And even when I coached in the ovens at Murray a few years ago now, you know, that, that, that had, you know, Gary her in it. You know, you could... Every club had an AFL or VFL legend at that stage come up because you know there was just there was either more money or, or the same money to go to those leagues back in those days.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and I spent a bit of time in uh, Shepparton area, so Golden Valley League, and that was really strong as well. And um, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's such a good a good vibe being around those sort of you know country towns and actually being involved in in regional footy because you got the netball involved as well and. Um, I know you went down to Tassie and they didn't have the netball involved there which is really weird, I, I was down there for a long time as well but uh, certainly, um, yeah mate, it's it's such a, you know, I think it's a great thing that you actually did to, to go back to Albury and, and start coaching there and sort of give back to the community
1: Yeah, there's a few other things but I was happy to learn to coach outside the spotlight which I'm, I'm glad I did didn't quite eventuate up into the AFL, you know, which is what I expected but you know Coaching, coaching is, is takes you sort of five to ten years to get your craft, to know what you're doing, to know what to say, to know how to run a program. But you know, we took uh, North Albury, who I coached from third to, uh, sorry, from last, well, uh, dead last, to third and the 10th team conference. It wasn't too bad, but just access to talent was the problem. You couldn't really, I mean, that club has got no money, so it was hard to attract good players. So we just had to develop. They're really good juniors and then try and um, you know cherry pick a few of the good ones if they could come on board and then yeah that was that was a crazy time but albury for me was going from melbourne to albury was about my foreign exchange business was headquarters was there which ended up becoming ar which is augmented reality and now the world's greatest and, and first worldwide compliant cryptocurrency called ZooCoin. so that starts next week and you know mm. it's sort of funny Footy, footy is the vehicle to sort of helped me get there, but it's also all these other things have come off it and, and now being in real estate in my day job, but it, they're, they're, those start are all about to fly to the universe and beyond, so it's yeah, it's kind of crazy, but you know, that's footy.
0: Mm, that's true, mate. It's interesting. Uh, I'd like to hear about what happened in, in Brisbane when you arrived there, you started playing local footy and, and how the pathway ended up for you getting drafted.
1: Yeah, when I came here, we just got there's a bit of luck. We lived at a place called Albion, which is right around the corner from at that stage the biggest Aussie Rules club in Queensland called Maine, The Main Tigers who were very big down there, and uh, they're now in like uh, some other division. But they but back then it was I just went around and and started playing under tens, and it, it was sort of straight away one we didn't have enough players, so you know you're always carrying the team. But of course. The under-12s and under-14s didn't have enough plays either. But my mum was really concerned that the standard wasn't as good in Queensland when I started here in that that particular time with that league. And she said, I think, you know, which most parents wouldn't do, but my mum was like, I think for you and your development, you, you should play up. So every weekend I used to have to play on 10s, under-12s, and on the odd occasion under fourteen. So I'd be playing two and three games a weekend. But I'm also up against bigger, stronger kids, of course, in that era – you know, well, that age, you could see there's a, a difference in whoever's growing, who's not, who's developing, who's not. So, for me, it was, it was certainly a baptism of fire. But the standard, certainly, once you got into the, the sort of what they call the regional team, so Brisbane, you have Met North, uh, and then you go to the, the state carnivals and under-12s, then you're playing against the Gold Coast teams, which are always really strong. Uh, and then as the 11-year-old, I go and play in the Queensland team up in Darwin, and out of that... Particular team, or we won it. So Queensland, not really renowned as a footy state, even though it really is. And we go up there and we tied with the Victoria, so we shared the cup. Uh, they lost one game, I think against Stars, and we lost one game. Not sure against uh, who were against, but we had Clark Keating, a guy called Brent Green. Uh, we had you know Clint Bizzle and a bunch of these other blokes, and uh, and a guy called Simpson, uh, Hamish Simpson. So those guys end up going on and playing in the AFL. So you see that how strong you get pretty lucky or unlucky. Uh, and that particular age group just had a bunch of really good players. Two years older than me is Michael Voss. So, you know, you'd be hearing about Michael Voss and, and a couple of other guys who were really, you know, superstars who weren't quite, uh, they were just dominating. And Voss, he had 15, was on the Bears list. I mean, he's just a superstar. So mm. that, that'll give you the impression, well, I'll... Queensland footy, if you're outside of Queensland, most people don't realise just how much talent and and skill and, and hardness that we have here in Queensland. Mm. But the, the following year we go and play in Sydney and I was the captain under 12s and just wasn't as strong. We didn't go as well. But, it you know, depending... And now the state is, it produces so many great footballers. There'll be more and more, but it's sort of... Uh, they tend to be just a little bit underdeveloped at sort of 17, 18, so they're still good. But by 21, they they're, you know, develop well past uh, Victorian and South Australian kids, even though the South Australian kids and Victorian kids are often playing uh, against men in my year. anyway. There was no under-18s back then, or there was, but everyone mm. wanted to play reserves or seniors. So mm. by the time I sort of come through and I played in the National Carnival as a 16-year-old in the under-17s to cup, I played in Adelaide down there, had a great, great series, and I loved the place after that, and I got best on ground against WA at Footy Park, and that was sort of a really, really good game to have because then all of a sudden I'm on the radar of the Bears, the Brisbane Bears. So they asked me to train at the end of that carnival in the preseason. So that preseason had, like, Nathan Buckley, who was at the Bears at that stage. That, it was his, he was coming into his first year, so we've been mates ever since then and always sort of, and make sure we see how you're going, how you're finding it. But it's sort of crazy to think that 12 months later, I go and play again in the National Carnival. I get an All-Australian jumper for Queensland, which is a little bit rare over there in in Perth. And then I come back, and and back then, it was the Bears had a local selection, like they do with Academy kids, and they said, we'd like to take you outside of the draft, which means we get automatic access to you, and, and, you know, you'll be a, what is it, top... 10-pip, but we'll, we'll take you out and make sure no one else can get you. You can stay here and finish your year 12. Mm. And by now, I was at one of the famous rugby union schools called Nudgee College, which has produced the most amount of Wallabies union players for Australia in the history of the world. So so. I go there on an athletic scholarship. I never played rugby union because they always gave me crap every day. I'd wander around and come round for doing year 12 and 1995. I get the call up and play my first ever
0: and Unbelievable, mate. So it really, really was a, it was a nice uh, pathway and a nice journey for you by the sounds of it. And um, you you would have arrived there obviously when the Bears were, were not traveling that well, I guess. And um, you obviously were able to transform, um, you know, that over, over five or six years to, to lead into premierships. I'd like to know who was the first coach when you went there? Was it Robert Walls or was it Lee Matthews?
1: No, Robert Walls was my first coach so he was, it was his last year, I sort of had, had a little bit to do with Walls, but that was the old era, those boys are lunatics I mean, they'd, they'd give it to you about anything they would just um, they'd scream and shout and you know, Norm Dare and a few of these other guys who were floating around and I think Walls, to his credit, really changed the culture and got the whole place going so even if you look back in the Bears in 93 they were starting to get some scalps 94 was much better and 95 my first year they'd, we had a really good squad, we ended up Uh, we got stuck into we won seven of the last eight games had said he was going to go back to Victoria which suited me because I thought he was a lunatic but the group just uh, he backed off to training and we only lost one game which was actually against Carlton who won that year and then we played Carlton in the old system so it was first, first, eighth uh, instead of like it is now where if you're eighth you'd play fifth we we were the second best team in the comp that year, we ended up uh, just losing by 13 points in that final. And we're the only team that got within 60 points of Carlton. They flogged everyone. They were a really good team. So you could see what Walls he had built, uh, which is a bit of a shame because he left in some ways for, for all the hard work he did. But then we had 96 came. We got John Nordy out of Richmond. John was John took us the third spot in the prelim final the next year. The following year, we didn't do so well. We went eighth. And then in his last year, he got sacked with about eight games to go. And we, we come. We won the wooden spoon, I think. Mm. From that point on, like, John was just a guy who'd change, you know, he'd work all week with a game plan and at a quarter time he'd just change it. So that mm. he didn't really, a lot of the older guys weren't really gelling with him and, and he certainly didn't have the the players on side. So we had Roger Merritt, who looked like he was going to get the job for those last seven or eight games. And then out of nowhere, Andrew Olin, who was our CEO, of course, who went down and was the CEO also at Sydney Swans, he jumped some fences and, and did a lot of things and, and talked to Lee Matthews and, and Lee said no a bunch of times, but eventually Lee started to come around and then uh, we were able to secure Lee. And Lee Matthews coming out of what was, like he obviously coached Collingwood's premiership but got sacked a few years later. He was in the media, life was pretty good. So Andrew did a, a great job to get uh, Lee at the end of 98. And no doubt Lee had a really good plan. I didn't think he knew that the list was going to be as... Fruitful as it was But he said It's not too bad I know you come last But I see some talent here And a lot of the guys Who were really superstars You know In the next few years I mean I turned When Lee came I was Just turned 22 That year And you got Simon Black Gets drafted Obviously Bossy's now 24 He's starting to come Into his prime And out of that team That come last We only added Like literally Three players To that premiership team It's like the least Amount of players ever To go from last To first We had Martin Pike Come He was a free agent So we got him out of he was i think he was at north melbourne at that stage uh we had now michael who was a, you know i grew up with Mel Mal and i played in all the rep teams growing up He was in the state team i don't even know how he didn't get on the bears list at the time but obviously they, they thought he was a bit bit raw he got it down to collingwood gets on the bloody the rookie list and ends up you know becoming a really good senior AFL player and a great defender and then he comes to us mm. and then we uh, because we've come last we've got dizzy headland in the, the first round draft pick so they're the only three guys Really, that added to that list. The rest of the list just got better and better. And Lee's, Lee's very much tackle, chase, win your own ball. He said, we've got no problem here. Uh, Kicking goals, boys, we've got to defend better. So that was the start of what ended up becoming, obviously, a great run in 2001, 2 and 3. And we, we, we obviously were in the grand final in 2004. Pretty unlucky not to win that one either, mm-hmm. thanks to the AFL and that fat secret, uh Andrew Dimitri. But anyway, that's another story. But that's, that's really what happened. So that's how we got there.
0: Unbelievable mate. Like like you from afar you seem to have a bit of a rocky relationship with Lee Matthews. Is that true or is it sort of uh, was it pretty good for you?
1: No, not really. No, Lee and I's relationship was actually awesome until right at the end, which you know, the you know, the the, the end tends to, to muddy the waters. People think that it you know, for the most part you gotta realise like I just would do anything to impress Lee. Like, uh, you know, he'd been the coach. with Every player wanted to play for him. So, th- uh, ninety nine, he took me to defence at the back pocket and he put me up on the ball late in games or, or in the third quarter. Uh, my job was to shut down a little quick sort of forwards, which are often uh, very fast and athletic Original players, you know, Jeff Farmer and, mm. you know, you go through, you know, um, in Ronnie Burns and these kind of guys. And that was have great jobs. And I think with him... Giving me that role, and also me as I developed uh, the ability to shut down a bloke and concentrate for a long time, and then get a lot of the footy and set us up the field. So Lee took myself, Justin Lepage, uh, Daryl White, and Chris Johnson, basically from forwards to defenders, and Maxi Kennedy played ten up back for a little bit there. But the the rest is it looks like you know the relationship between me and Lee was was really good. It only got tested after I won the Brownlow early on because. Winning the Brown Line in 2001, at that stage, a lot of people wouldn't know this, but none of the players did any media, had no contracts. And Lee did all the media. He wanted to be the face. And, and Lee had that real Melbourne mentality, you know, give them nothing, take them nowhere. You know, it's like feeding the chooks. You just, you just give them a little bit of scraps and, and you leave it. You don't want to talk it up, talk it down. You just, you just don't talk to the media as much as you can. Mm. And after 2001, I got the, got the offer to do a column in the paper so Lee would have to tick off every column I did, and after three weeks, he's like, "I don't think this is right for you, Echo. I don't think this is going to be any good." He just <laughs> couldn't handle that. That a player would have an opinion that was different to his, anyway. And eventually, he calmed down, and, and I got better at writing anyway. And the, the columns and the articles become much better and more articulate. And you know, it was it was great. So he relaxed there. I was doing Triple M radio. Uh, we'd do the morning show, and then I was I had. I went in to get sacked, believe it or not, a new CEO up here, a guy called Robert Loss motherly. So Robert calls me in to, up to Mount Coosney there. If you've ever been to Brisbane, you see the tower. So Channel 10 up there, I walk into his office. He sits down. He, he literally said to me, hey, we're still mates now, and we play golf together, you know, a couple of times a year. And he always says to me, mate, I, I called you in to sack you. And then after an hour and a half of talking to you, uh, I couldn't believe it, mate. And he gave me my own show, so mm-hmm. I go in to get sacked, and I walk out with Queensland Rules, my own TV show for kids. So it, <laughs> and doing all that media really relaxed Lee. It, it was it was strained early in 2002, but then he relaxed so much that by the end of the premiership run, myself, Michael Voss, Justin Lepage and Alison Lynch all doing columns, radio, and TV. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just shows you uh, how. You know, I had to be the sacrificial man in some ways, but Lee really did come around because you could see, geez, we've gone from having 12,500 people here to 33,500 people were packing out the joint. Everyone's coming to watch us. We saw winning, but, you know, we're on the front and back pages. The Broncos aren't there for the first time ever. but no one's talking about the Bullets in Brisbane. Like, it was completely different, And, and Lee saw the beauty in that. And only at the end, like... And the team started going down. I was I was the winner in I sorry best and fairest winner in two thousand and five. So by two thousand and six we lost a lot of star players, so lots of experience which really hurt us. And I didn't want to be around a losing team. Lee was really struggling with it. We the team was struggling and I just, you know, like a like a mischievous kid, you know, I wasn't happy and I I wanted to Get out if I could Because you know I was just not happy With the direction of the club So in the end I left Brisbane There was no problem With the other players But Lee and I just We, we understood That the town Was big enough For both of us Because I was getting Bigger and better mm-hmm. Lee wasn't really Giving me You know A captaincy role Or he wasn't Really giving me Something that was Going to make me Worthwhile to stay So in the end I said no You know uh, Let's just Pull up stumps And in the end I got sacked I think July 21st uh, 2006 And I was looking For a new cop.
0: Mm. did you did you sit out of football that year or be able to get uh get down to melbourne halfway through the year in the mid-season draft was that on then
1: no that wasn't on then no so i had to go back in to the draft so i had to get drafted and that deal with the bulldogs it was really between bulldogs and essendon uh there was a conversation with bob thompson about going to geelong but at that stage i was i was turning 30 the following year i needed a little bit more money i really hadn't Being a brown, medalist and triple Premiership player, and being around so many stars, and with the cap, I wasn't really—I was getting paid all right. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like you could in the open market. So my goal was to to go to a team that could win a Premiership, which was the Bulldogs. They had a better deal; it was a three-year deal. Um, And then you know Essendon's deal was a two-year deal for about fifty grand less a year. But I was worried they are going to sack Kid and Sheedy, and turns out, a, a, well, a year later they did. And I didn't really want to be in that changeover because when new coaches come in, they start to, you know, they train, they train you harder. They, you know, when I was thirty, I needed a, a better balanced program, so I ended up choosing the Bulldogs. And yeah, I just, it was done literally. I think it was in the first thirty seconds of of that the old period where you used to do your trades. And in in the AFL, the reason the AFL system works. Is, uh, so it's against the law, for example, Aaron, that you can't... Well, if you want to work somewhere, no-one can tell you where... So your employer can't say, well, you can't work there. Uh, so laws in the AFL, they know this. So they will now... Anyone that wants to go to a club generally, 99% of the time will always get there because they know if it, if it doesn't happen... And if I took the AFL to court... They would lose every day of the week because the law is is pretty simple. You can't tell anyone under the Work Act uh, where to work. So uh, worked out well, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm you know I'm selling, i renting out my house up here, and and looking for a rental in Melbourne.
0: Mm, unbelievable. I, I was a, uh, I was like I, I watched uh, all that from afar. I remember you popping up in the media and all that too. And I just sort of thought. This is, this is a guy that wants to, to make a difference here and also to supplement his income, and I think he should be allowed to do that. And um, that was pretty evident to me at the time, and obviously it uh, has exploded with regards to players being able to you know, earn outside their, their, their normal um, uh, packages uh, to be able to go into uh, other avenues, which could you know, potentially um, enhance their career post-football, and that's pretty much what happened for you.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think in my first year down there, I didn't actually do a column, but the second year, I was just to the club, look, I think I'm going to play better and I'll function better if I can get an athlete like this to, to do a bit more of my creativity, to mm. use my thinker side and just get out, uh, you know, columns about whatever. So in 2008, I started doing the columns for the Herald Sun, which ran up here as well, and that really did help, sort of like a bit of therapy. So I think with the AFL, that they've, they've always got this uh, terrible balance. It's always... In in well, it's always out of balance because the AFL say, well, you can't uh, you know do a Pepsi ad because our protected spot is Coca Cola, mm. and that's really that's really not about the players, and that's that's not what the game's about. The game's always about the players. You go to watch the players. You don't go to watch the AFL. You go to support your team. The, the people pay money to go and see them. Mm. But yet the irony is the only one that wins out of every game that's ever played in the AFL is the AFL headquarters and if you get uh, you know I've had many conversations and pushed the push the limit when I could on well can I sell like little things like the collar on my shirt can I sell that yep you can do that mm. so you know we'd find ways around it to try and create extra income but it's incredibly restrictive so any player that's able to do that like even you know, boot sponsors or, or just supporting local uh, you know, businesses. You always got to tell them. There's always a bit argy-bargy like that. You know, most of them. Are, most of it's pretty good, but you know, you do get the ones where you cross over, and the AFL tend to get their way, which is always a little bit sad for the player.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. I, uh, I would have thought so, but it's changed now. But it's still, yeah, still obviously got uh, some, you know some pretty tight restrictions around it and all that too. But, um, mate, I, I, I really like being a bulldog supporter. I was really. Um, like my, my interest came back to football when you went there and I was sort of disengaged with footy for quite a while and I probably am now uh you know uh more so because I haven't got any connections with people in in the league I suppose but I was really um you know really uh focused on watching the Bulldogs when you were there and what you could bring to the club mate and just be good to, to hear a bit about your journey and, and what you actually experienced while you were playing there
1: the Bulldogs was really, like, I could see their vision. So they were going to build the new facilities that hadn't been done yet, but it was coming and it did. And it was, it was wonderful. And I think Campbell Rose was the CEO at the time. Like, he really, he did such a amazing job. No one knows just how much work he did. He worked with the federal government and state government and got grants and said, if I raise this, can you build this? Can you help our club? And he got it done. And I think that's, That's one of the big things in that area that people don't know. And I think if it wasn't for Campbell, probably a guy called Darren Creswell, who was was one of my coaches up here, he had a great relationship with one of his old coaches in Rodney Heat. And Rocket was probably not normally like to go after a girl like me because, you know, I don't put up with any shit. I don't suffer suffer fools. Mm -hmm. If you say it's this and I don't agree, I'll just say, well, can you look at it like this? And I'm not being... I would give my points, and I would say, you know, I think we can do this better. I'm out there playing. Can we do this? Can we do that? God is not really a guy that's very accepting of that. But because I was an experienced player, because of Kresa, uh he was he was good to work with for the large majority. No doubt, the, the two things that really hurt the, you know. The greatest thing was I went to the Bulldogs. So I was really the biggest name for a long time to actually be outside of the Bulldogs to come in. Most of it was in-house, and they still had that culture, a very individual culture. They hadn't really had great team success. I think the Bulldogs still have the most Brownlow medalist winners of any VFL AFL club in history. So it tells you they've got a, a very good individual culture of win, of winning those awards, but not necessarily winning premierships. Yeah. So when I went there, it was, it was about helping that culture change. Look, this is what we do, you know, consider it. And for the majority of that first year, wasn't too bad. But those next few years, 2008, 2009, I was leading goal kicker in 2009. And then then Big Bad bears, uh, you know, my great mate Barry Hall came. And I, and everyone just sort of, I went from kicking, you know, 49, 50 goals the year before and getting an extra year on my contract, it was only a three-year deal. And Barry coming really hurt my supply and unless you're going up into the midfield it's going to be you know harder to get kicked etc like there's a little bit going on so it was good and bad and then the two things that hurt the Bulldogs in my mind was one they they had this uh hang on
0: mate
1: yeah. uh they had this uh you know this handstands to individual culture And I said, look, I'm happy to do what you guys want, but it doesn't mean a bunch of shit, to be honest. Uh, When we win at home, I'll do a handstand. And they they stopped that. And I said, look, I'm a team player, always have been, and, you know, I'm happy to stop it. But that just showed you that that they were so starved of success. They were trying to control everything, micromanage it. And in my last year, I wrote a column, um, a very famous column about uh, homosexuality in footy Which is not a big issue I was you know, just saying My point of view uh, Geez, didn't I get Some some hate And some backlash Not just from the public But it was actually came from Within the group mm-hmm. And then um, They tried to stop me From doing my columns And uh, the playing group And the coaching staff And of course You know David Morgan All these kind of blokes Were trying to uh, Manage what I was doing Off field To try and just Basically control What I was doing I said well listen here fellas This is how it's going to work I'm not going to stop doing my columns because I'm going to retire at the end of the year because I've had enough of this shit. Mm. And I'm going to go do the columns, which I did for many years after. And it's going to be you know, a pathway for me to, to you know, get out of footy and still be involved in footy. Mm. And they just had the biggest sissy fit. You wouldn't believe it. And it was such poor leadership. I can't tell you how frustrating it was. Mm. And I'm telling you, I said, you guys, I'm telling you. Like, uh, you know, so I was really um, straight back up. And I said, mate, you know, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for a long time. And as you can see, uh, last time I looked, I'm, I'm, I've got some success to back that up. So what works for me, works for me. It might not work for you, but you're not doing what I'm doing. So why don't you just settle down and let's just go play footy. And and that really caused a lot of problems with the with the playing group. And I sort of got them offside. I had the leadership offside. And all of a sudden, uh, the worst thing happened. I, I got injured. And then, you know, they cracked the sad, and ended up in the twos. And then... You know, basically, the playing group said no. Um, we can't. We can't see you back on the field. And it was actually coming for a couple of players. who basically just soaked it up, and I just said, "Oh, fine. Look, if you're going to be like that." Uh, and you know, I get called into a meeting, and you've got all these. You've got, you know, and the CEO. You've got the bloody coach. You've got all these assistant coaches. You've got all these wankers in there, David Morgan, and these kind of idiots. And they said, "No, there's no. We're going to sack you." And I'm like. That's a bad idea, and it was horrible because mm. no one likes to get rejected. But in the end, we made the prelim, and they could have done with me because we got injured a couple of injuries late in the year. That you know was coming good anyway, and it was just it was just a sad end. that I never got a chance to go and thank the fans like they do now. They do it really well now, last game and all that kind of stuff. So mm. it, that was uh, it still burns in my soul a bit. But that's life mm. uh, at, at the AFL at that time. The irony though, Aaron, was they were sponsored by Worksafe, which is all about. And you know, not bullying, um, you know, your, your employees, et cetera, and all the all the Bulldogs were doing was bullying the crap out of me because I didn't mm. I didn't want to do what they said. even though I was doing nothing wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely, mate. I, I don't worry. That that's, uh that sort of uh, leadership mentality is is really um, the the colonial system which which governs business and it governs government and so forth too. So unfortunately, that that has changed. Uh, oh, sorry unfortunately that hasn't changed uh when it comes to exiting people out of the system and it's really a really a, a terrible fear-based approach you know um and it's it's, it's it's still it still goes on now but uh i think you know one of my my missions is to actually like help help change that because i've sort of uh been in roles and the same things happened to me uh, as you so i was really compassionate to see what happened to you at the time and uh, i just really believe that uh, there's got to be better ways to manage people that uh that is more heart-centred rather than actually just ruthless like that at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean,
0: it's not... I think that, that there's always
1: issues around groups. Once you get groups together, you just know, and it's been categorically scientifically proven, that if you put a bunch of people together, they'll do stuff that they would never do by themselves. Mm. And that's the always the culture you got to watch out from whether it's groups of men playing footy or or you know a, in a corporate environment or a small business like this one like you if you get on offside with with the main group no matter if you got mates in there whatever they can easily you. it's been going on for seven million years not like mm. it's it's pretty much impossible to stop but thankfully as the world goes by there's always a whole lot of harder things to really bully people around. They can, you know, you've got HR, you've got complaints, you've got workplace, uh, omsfordmen, all that kind of stuff. You've got, the, you know, you know Office of Fair Trading. So there's lots of avenues if you're getting uh, risselled at work and they're, they're ch- certainly going up against you or so they're going after you. You do have some facilities these days. It'll get better as well to actually go back and say, well, hang on, hang on, this is not right, and expose the guys who are doing it.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's true, mate. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, I think you might have had a bit of a rocky relationship with Daniel G in Syracuse, which was pretty obvious uh, for people watching the TV. <laughs> Is that right?
1: Well, that wasn't too bad. At least I could talk to him. He, he's, uh, you know, like myself, a bit stubborn and set in his ways. But I don't think, you know, I've seen Daniel once since then. I shouldn't just out of respect. He works his a hard worker, not overly... Tough and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, neither was I when I started either, but he certainly, I, I don't mind Daniel, I wouldn't invite him to my birthday party or anything like that, but I certainly had no problem sitting down and talking to him. Robert Murphy was the other one that I had a, a many issues with. Robert just, you know, at that stage, he's got better now, no doubt, he's, he's certainly changed, the led leadership, but at that stage he was, um, he's just a little jealous, whinging Uh, teammate, he just, you know, he'd have a super bad, whoever he wanted, he'd have, you know, strong opinions on it, and that's the way, that's the way he is. He's always not going to change like that. He's now better at being a little bit more diplomatic, but back then it was all about him his columns, his dog, and all that kind of stuff. And I oh, know there's nothing wrong with being selfish. Humans are selfish. So they're designed that way and it's not the end of the world that they look after themselves because you, you sort of have to unless you get killed. That's, mm-hmm. that's how it's been for seven million years as well. But, yeah, I, and at that stage, here was an issue and we had an issue with a, a group that we called the A-Team. So that was, you know, a couple of past players. Yeah, Scotty West, who's was a mate of mine. i got no problem with Scotty. Uh, even in Brad Johnson who's my captain Brad's a wonderful guy, but you know he was in that group and he sort of unfortunately for him was put in the middle between That group and myself and as a captain here to give me the bad news and I'm like, mate You know these blokes aren't that tough. They're coming through you come on man, like uh, give us a spell I don't want to see you you're putting yourself in this position as a captain But you're also ruining our relationship because of these blokes acting like assholes, you know, mm, yeah. and so and then Ben Hudson and I, we had a bit of a falling out. Ben Hudson and I had the same birth. So I like Ben, I know he's up here coaching now. But, you know, he just took one thing I said the wrong way and, and just, you know, sipped it up for the next 10 years and that was it. Who was and that, that like Ben, it, ben been... who? Who was that? Ben Hudson. He was oh, our... Oh, Ben. Uh, yeah, ben yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Hudson, who was our... He, he's good around the club and, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea because he's, you know, he's always pick big mouth and he's, he's shooting it off when he can but I, don't, I always took it in good nature but yeah he just took something I said to him in one day the wrong way and, and that was it and he, you know the relationship was destroyed and I see him I see him occasionally you know when he gives me he raises the eyebrows and probably get that's about as much as I get out of him but it's not a big issue like in the end you know I let all that ride now because you know time will tell that their actions at that time. Both of us, I did some things that were wrong. We did a lot of things right. They did many things wrong and some things right. But, you know, what do you do? You just got to learn from it. And those guys, I've no doubt become better people having been through that with other people when they get in the same circumstances. I know I'm the same. I have to deal with shitheads, etc. So, you know, they're just all part of the game of life. You just got to, you just keep getting that uh, the toughness around your skin like a rhino skin and just understand and you can read the play far better. But you have to sort of be in that arena many times to do that, I reckon.
0: Yeah, that's true, mate. And, and like, after that, I was, I was down in Tassie, and I really loved you, uh, you know, offering yourself to go down and play with Glenorchy. And I used to go to the games, mate. I remember the first game down there, it was at night. It was fucking two degrees or something like that. But there was about 12,000 people there, you know. It was, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, there was nine thousand six hundred and 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 fifty something, fifty two, I think, and that's Jeez. still a grand record outside the AFL. We broke the old grand record, and it was great for the Glenorchy. I mean, they, we put a hundred and twenty grand in cash from that day from the gate receipts, sausages of the bar in the back of one of those Armaguard vans, and that that set them up for years. And they're the type of things that myself, obviously, I started. That I got the idea off Mark Jacko Jackson he used to do it before me, mm. and then of course you know Fed and these kind of guys. They still go around and play one-off games. Really good for clubs, local clubs. And I think for Glenorchy, they've really benefited. They've gone on to be a powerhouse and a really good team. They're still a good team. Mm. So it's you know it's not the end of the world. We didn't quite win that year and I played probably six or eight games and it was good fun. But, yeah, it's that's the whole point. You know, everyone's got to win.
0: Mm. Oh, that's it, mate. I remember, like, Ben Reynolds was playing mm. and Jay Bowden and... Um, a lot of those good young fellas, you know, that played for the Devils when they were getting about. And that was the other good thing about Tassie, when the VFL team was firing, mate, that was, that was awesome down there. But uh, you know, Yeah, hope... really. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, a good standard of, of league. I think, I think uh, you yeah, know, we beat Clarence that day, that night. Uh, Clarence went on, I think, to win the flag that year. I mean, they're a good side, they're a they powerhouse. But, you know, it was it was good for all of them and it was... Uh, it was good for for us just to you know have that little bit of bonding, and but we still talk about it. Even when I go to Tassie now, we're still talking people about it.
0: Mm. Oh, mate, it was it was tremendous, and I, 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 you know, it was such a a good thing for our mental health to be able to to go to to football and just forget, forget about the cares of the world, you know, um, and to have you know you down there and. Um, uh, and that sort of content and it's amazing how communities sort of gel together when uh when there is a focal point and um you know that that sort of brought life back into the tfl or tsl or whatever it was um and i just really uh yeah i'm really grateful that you were able to go and do something like that mate so it shows me you've got such a big heart you know outside of footy i guess at the end of the day
1: well in the end the beauty, as I said, you know, we all win. I it's great for me, I have you know, I got a team to go to, you get a few dollars to play and the club can make money and there was only one club I ever played for in the I don't know, 30, 50 games, I don't know how many clubs I played for, but the only one club broke even, everyone else made good money on the day and I think that's that's indicative of what myself and Fev and anyone else who wants to do it is. You, you, you know, blokes that don't need it. I know blokes like say he's retired. Whether it's uh, Chris Jard, but if Chris Jard or, or Ben Cuth, probably not Ben Cuth. because he don't know what planet he's on back. But, but those kind of stars in that era, even Barry Hall's done that. And you know, oh man, it's it's been crazy good for all the clubs, and, and it's hard to get them. And I know we played in the Avenue Murray. We had eight ex AFL players playing for Albury, which is the opposition they win every year because they get all the money. Mm-hmm. And those guys, though, for them, they've got a job, they get paid well, play footy. Like it's it's a good little sort of uh, intermediary between your AFL career, your transfer, still in footy, and then you end up going back into normal life where you're not really part of the footy culture. It's, it could be good. So I see a lot of benefits.
0: Mm, absolutely mate I, I think it's tremendous and you you need to be proud uh, of yourself uh, for everything that you've brought to football outside of you know the the on-field time and uh, and <clears throat> pardon me and how much uh, you know that you've actually given to the game and, and how much the game has given you you know from when you sort of started off back in Mildura at that time and just how things have uh, evolved for you uh, over the journey mate because Geez, that that guy teaching you or telling you how to kick both feet, uh when you're age eight or nine has had a tremendous impact on uh, on on you know footballers in general, but also you know young guys coming through watching you uh, go about it as well, mate. So I'm really uh, really grateful for your time and and you know I, I wish you all the best with what uh, whatever um, you know happens for, for Jason Ackermannis moving forward, mate, because. Um, you, you you've, su- you've got such good mental health. That's one thing that came to me uh, as we were talking here. You know? uh, you, you, you're very solid. You're very passionate about your life and what you do. And uh, mate, you, you've, got to, you've got to be um, uh, commended for that because mental health in, in this day and age, people go up and down like yo-yos, but you seem to have uh, been able to manage yourself really, really well
1: well i uh, I'll leave you with this just so you know uh, this is this is the the old older Yoda in me just talking about just my 44 years of experience plus learning from from people who are older than me quite as successful and and mental health is a bit of a myth and I don't mean that to say well we don't we, we don't sort of see your you or you're having a bad day or you're feeling bad et etc et cetera. I know some people have you know other reasons to be down etc but it's these things are so true for all of humanity. And every and individual has to have it. So they have to have a purpose, which seems simple, but, you know, getting up, uh, well, not just a plan, but a purpose, somewhere to go, something to be involved in. So groups are great, footy clubs, netball clubs, golf clubs, uh, your mates you, you catch up with regularly. Then you need... Uh, so, you've got purpose and you've got mastery of craft. So, you've got to have something you must master. So, whether you see people who dominate their careers end up, you know, uh, going out and learning the guitar or the ukulele, because humans love to learn things that is hard, but it, we also love to master stuff. So, we need that to do outside of our normal. Once you master a certain job or whatever you've got, you, you need to keep going forward and find something else to do. And then, of course, you've got autonomy. And autonomy is that you will still work hard. You work hard in your own way. So if I'm there looking over your shoulder every day, then you're not probably gonna respond real well. But if I leave you to your own devices, you'll work out when and how to work really hard. And when you get in those certain zones that you just go hammer and tong. And that's better for you because then you'll know when to back off and you learn that as you go. So if you're gonna remember those three things, purpose, mastery, craft and of course of timing, uh, your life will be always better. And I always say, you know, Phil Jauncey, Dr. Phil Jauncey, always say that emotions last on average about 90 seconds. So, you know, if you feel bad, just wait a minute and a half, you'll be sweet. Mm. And think about something else and look forward to something, and that's whether it's a holiday or, you know, catching up with friends or your, or your partner, whatever it is. So if you can get those things in your life, there's no doubt you'll have way better good days than bad. And I think the journey of life has everything. So every, everything good also has bad in it. That's the Zen Buddhism style, you know, even the bad things have good in them. Mm. So everything has both good and bad. So no matter how what happens, you've got to look at the both sides. Even when you're flying and you're making millions or you made a billion dollars and your company's going great, the other side is all the years of work you have to put in and invest and sacrifice to get it done. And that's there's always something in there that you must remember and it'll keep you balanced
0: yeah mate that's that's beautifully said and and that that's that's really really essence of it all you know we we have we have peaks and troughs consistently but if you can do things that keep you grounded every day then all of a sudden you know your life will will expand and, and you'll you you continue to improve um uh, as an individual and not only you benefits but every, everyone else benefits around you from that mate so i'm really really grateful that we've had this conversation jason it's really lifted me up so i uh, i appreciate that and uh i'm sure we're going to have a, another yak in the future so i'm really grateful for your time anytime time, Aaron. you know i've got
1: to go to the next appointment but <laughs> i i thank you so much for your 48 minutes and 33 seconds brother and-
0: Guys, thanks so much for listening in. Uh, geez, I, as I said, I, I think this guy is, you know, he's, he's one out of the box. He's, he's you know, he's been controversial and, and so forth with regards to his beliefs. But, you know, he's very, very um, passionate about what he does and what he does believe in. And, and the impact that he's had on other people's lives has been significant uh, on and off the fields uh and i just think that his mental health is really good and then there's something that we can all take away from that you know so some of the suggestions that he sort of left us with uh left us with uh you know quite uh quite important so i really uh, encourage you to maybe explore some of those if you'd like to reach out to me uh, support at backmind.com.au check out the new website at backmind.com.au some awesome guests still coming so i really appreciate your feedback on this podcast and If there's anyone in your community that you believe would be a good person to speak to, I'd love to hear from you and um, maybe uh, explore that. So thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers.